to Adam. How are things going? Good. Not bad. Livy? I'm good. Same old, same old. Alright, so today we've got a special treat, right? Because we're doing another debate. Adam, did you have a special name for this one? It's Let's Argue 2 Pedagogical Boogaloo. (laughs) (laughs) Or Pedagogy Boogaloo. I haven't figured out which one flows off the tongue. Goji Boogaloo. Uh, (laughs) As our listeners know, I tried to force, like, theory into music conspiracy theory. Like, so I feel like Pedagogy Boogaloo is you know decidedly better that's fair each each one can have a have a, a dumb theme you know part one was con- music conspiracy conspiracy theories and this one's pedagogy and boogaloo all be really difficult to say exactly <laughs> and then when livy does hers she'll have to come up with some equally good name at that, but i'll give it my best <laughs> Uh, yeah. right, how does this work so i have assembled a list of questions about music theory and music pedagogy topics um and i'm gonna let you guys pick sides and argue about them and just like before i'm going to award points based on who i think presents a more convincing argument in this moment because i probably have my own opinions about these already but i'm going to give you guys the benefit of the doubt start fresh clean slate uh and let you convince me how should i be teaching music Mm -hmm. sound good right yeah because just like in our other episode when we talk about German augmented six, somebody should have said, yeah, it's a half step either direction r- moving to the fifth scale degree. Uh huh. But we didn't talk about that. No. And as the we said a lot of dumb stuff in that episode. It was, I listened back to it after I finished editing it, so it was painful. I said <laughs> a lot of dumb stuff in there. I never seemed yeah, to quite so, know what I was arguing for, and I was just like in circles the whole time. So it was, it was rough. <laughs> Anyway, so our, our bar isn't high, but no, it's we not. got it. <laughs> uh, all right. First question. I think one of the most obvious questions. What is the best way to notate a cadential 6-4? And since there are multiples, there's like four or five ways that I'm aware of. I will let you guys pick as long as you don't agree. Are we going to lay out options or are we just going to pick two off the top of our heads? Because I can't even remember what all the ones I mean, that people use are that i've never used <laughs> you could just put a 164 mm-hmm. you could have a 164 with a bracket around mm-hmm. it you could put cad 64 mm-hmm. you could put k 64 you could put 564 to 53 mm-hmm. and i'm sure there are others all right so i prefer cadential like you call it a cadential 64 but i don't find any need to write like cad 64 in place of just a 164 because when I think about it, I'm thinking Roman numeral and what is the literal chord and what inversion. I understand it's functioning as a dominant, but if I'm analyzing it, I'm thinking this is literally a 164. I'm not thinking about the 564 and it's a suspension that's resolving to a 5-3, a 5-5-3. Like, that's just not how I think about it. I get that it's a dominant harmony, but I would rather think about it like, no, it's a 1-6-4 chord moving to this. And I think it's a little bit clearer because I've I've learned it both ways. And mm-hmm. I think when I was in class that it made more sense to students who were learning it as, here's a 1-6-4 and then here's a 5 chord and not, hey, it's not a 5 chord, but write 5 here instead. 
there was just a disconnect with what they were actually supposed to do. Okay. So you're you're gonna take standard one six four, just write it the normal Roman numeral way, no alterations or modifications. Yeah, that's okay. that's what I prefer. Even and like I understand it's a dominant harmony and what it's doing, but all of the you could write it as five six four. You could put one six four going to the five and bracket both of them with like a five underneath it, stating that it's a five or a dominant prolongation, mm-hmm. or writing CAD six four or doing all of those things. To me are just a little beyond what you actually need as far as the analysis goes. Okay. Livy? So your final take is on your paper, you just have a 164, and then the next chord you would have a Roman numeral 5. You wouldn't put any brackets, any other explanation? Yeah, I wouldn't do any of the other stuff. I gotcha. I'm with you, and then I don't do the whole bracket. I don't do the, like, grouping it in with a five chord and then putting like a five underneath that or whatever um so i i'm gonna like talk through how i'm getting to my position because otherwise i can't just like argue it so i'm gonna talk through it so i learned it as just being a one six four and really i didn't even get an explanation beyond that when i was in theory it was just this is a one six four you'll see these in cadences and i was like oh okay because like for me if i saw those notes i could put together that it was a one chord and I knew what Bad inversions were. We'll see what happened is we learned inversions before. Cause so um, for the listeners, the way that Adam, Seth and I, um, the way that we were teaching um, these chords when we were in school as GAs was that we taught, um, we taught six fours as a specific group. And so we didn't just throw out like, these are all the types of inversions First, we taught them in groups. So we taught like that six fours have specific purposes. Here's what they are. And that's when we would teach the yeah, one we six grouped, four. We grouped all the first inversion chords together and talked about all of them. And then yes. we grouped all the second inversion chords and talked about all of them yes. in their own units. Starting with relegated. triads. The textbook we used, right. yeah, they weren't sorted by function or by which Roman mm-hmm. numeral they were. They were sorted by inversion. But we went far enough to say that 6-4 chords are really specific. You see them in really specific mm-hmm. circumstances. I wasn't taught that way in my undergrad. I was taught, this is what a first inversion is. It's with a 6. This is what a second inversion is. It's with a 6-4. Um, and, like, you see this chord? You see how it has the notes of a 1 chord? You see how the 5th is in the bass? That's a 1-6-4. Boom. And so that's how I was labeling them. And so then when we got to um, to teaching as GAs, and he was like, we're going to... our supervisor our um main kind of undergrad theory teacher there who was kind of telling us how we were teaching things at that school was like we're going to teach this more as a ornamental figured base figure than as a chord on its own so we taught it more as the five six four where the six four is purely like an upper neighbor to the five three that comes on the next chord of five six four to a five five three now while it is not literally a five chord in first and or in second version it's not literally the notes of a five chord the fact that it is always going to be that moving to the five three to me it was valuable to notate it as that five six four moving to a five five three because it teaches it like reinforces that idea as they analyze and so for me i i liked teaching it as the five six four moving to the five five three when they were first learning it. And then later on, if you want to change how you write it, 
sure. Because, I mean, we can write it anyway now and we all know what we're talking about. But when you're first learning it, I'm in favor of that 564 to 553 because it reinforces the idea that the reason that chord, what is literally a 164, is preceding the 5 is because it's like an upper neighbor. And it helps you kind of explain that in your analysis and it'll reinforce it. Now, that also helps you separate this is a cadential 6-4 as opposed to there's the like walking 6-4 figure that involves a 1-6-4. In that case, you mm-hmm. would notate it as a 1-6-4. And again, that helps reinforce that it is a different purpose for that chord than the cadential. So I like it as a teaching tool, the 5-6-4 notation of it, purely like as a reinforcement. I do agree. If you're a literal person, it could be confusing. But I think for most of my students, it helped their... Eventually, it like took a while for some of it for it to click with some of them. But once they got there, they were like, ah, it's all a five. It's all a five. And I think that it reinforces that. Yeah. So what I agree with would be, again, I see where you're going with it's a dominant harmony Mm -hmm. and right that use the Roman numeral to show Mm -hmm. that. But my position is I would rather just have them write like CAD six, four for short for cadential six, four instead of write the five chord Mm -hmm. that I like the one, six, four better because it is literally those notes. And I think that if a student, you know, pulled out, like if you're in C major and they said, okay, I have a G, a C and an E, they would understand better. Like that's some one chord Mm -hmm. than it is a five. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, and And so I think I will say I was one of those students where I was going by the notes. I could figure out what the chord was because I knew what notes were in what chord and I knew what inversions were. Like I was a very, even like we learn, like before I knew what a secondary dominant was, I was notating like, that's a weird, like augmented six or something, you know, I'm just throwing that out there. But I was like, that's a weird, that chord because I was going strictly off the notes. But I think that using this five, six, four notation kind of in the same way that you can notate something as a really weird chord before you know what a secondary dominant is. Once you know what a secondary dominant is, you're looking for things in a certain context, and that's where I think the 564 helps because it teaches you context. Because I did have students where they would try to put 164s in places that were just kind of nonsense, and I was like, well, remember why we have 164s? Like, they're either this or this. And for me, that's why teaching it that way helped to reinforce it. To add to that, when I when I was an undergrad and I learned about all the inversions and stuff like that, we definitely did not have that same sort of formulaic or co- contextual approach to finding six fours. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't until I got to USM and we took that pedagogy class that I started to think about the the more limited ways in which we actually do use those. Same. Um, I wasn't aware of that myself. But Livy, to your point, wouldn't it be better to have like the passing six four, the neighboring six four, or the CAD 6-4, wouldn't it be better to label 6-4s like that than replace the cadential 6-4 with a different Roman numeral? I guess so, yes. Because... Yeah, I mean, I see I that I think you're point. positioning for functional, mm-hmm. and I just... To me, that's more functional than replacing the one with a 5. Yeah, I do see. That's a good argument. I guess for me, it's more of just like that we try to put a Roman numeral to everything. And so it's kind of the idea that like, if you were doing like a reduced harmonic analysis where you had that 164 to the 5, you would end up just bracketing it as a 5. So I'm kind of doing that a step ahead in this analysis. And the way I have my students write it is I put an initial 5 
And then I don't actually put five, six, four on its own. And then five, four, three, or yeah, five, five, three under the next chord. What I have them do is I write a five and then I have them write a six, four, and then I have them put um, lines going to a five, three. So it's very clear that it's the figured base and it's not just a Roman numeral. Does that make sense? So it's showing the movement, yeah. not the chord. Did you make your students do that in your class? Yes, because I agree with I Seth that it that. can be confusing. I thought we were supposed to teach it all the same way. Well, I mean, it's it's. Well, I remember learning that in pedagogy because <laughs> um, it's yeah, showing. We're learning about it. But. It's showing that that is movement, like that. That is why we're calling that a five six four is because it's an upper neighbor to the five three. And so it's showing that movement. It's not saying this chord is a five, six, four. It's saying we're going to a five, five, three with these upper neighbor notes in it. So I made my students do that. Because I agree with you, Seth, that it can be confusing to label a chord as a five, six, four that isn't a five, six, four. You have to be aware of the context, which is where I think there's value in that labeling. But you have to be really specific about the way you teach it and the way that you have your students think about it. Because otherwise it can go off the rails really quickly. I get that. But I, hmm. I mean, to Seth's point, like I think about it as a one six four. But I found it more valuable for a lot of my students because they just couldn't like recognize chords quite as accurately without the context. So this is a tricky one because <laughs> I disagree with both of you. <laughs> Ooh, can we get your take? You can talk about it while you after think. After I will, after I award the points. Okay. Um. Hmm. Are you judging us on who was closer to your opinion or who made the better argument? No, no, no. That, that's all, that's another thing is I have to judge my own biases. It's very mm-hmm. difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I was leaning Livy for a long time, <laughs> but I do think that <laughs> Seth's point about just labeling each use of the 6-4 and keeping the same chord symbol for credential 6-4 does allow you to maintain clarity and also understand the function not just of the credential but also of the other six fours so like i really liked your point that is more about function and stuff like that but i think that if you're then going to incorporate the function of the other six fours as being equally as important to the function of the credential six four that maybe just labeling them individually is a better better path so i'm going to award that point to seth yay seth um let me ask you something real quick so i i want to i want to throw out Seth stole my position. So, <laughs> did I was I convincing and arguing the other one cuz I was going to go straight were, 164. Yeah. It is true that I made my no, students write were. it that way. I mean, I wasn't lying. I just I personally write the 164. I'm a 164 through and through. Do you do 164 yeah, with a bracket on it? No. I do not. Ugh, that's where I am. I would I would rather do a bracket. Do you also use brackets for a secondary dominant though? No. No? Okay. I was just wondering if you used the same thing for both, and I was like, that could be confusing. Or if you went to Eastman, like, in the 70s, you used an arrow, like my theory professor taught us. We didn't use a slash and then, like, rewrite what the dominant was. We just wrote an arrow. So we did, like, a 7 diminished 7, and then an arrow pointing to the 5 that comes after it. My theory teacher went to Eastman, and, like, maybe it was before that or something, but he he, he did the slash. It must have been before the arrow revelation. Yeah. No, I don't. He also called them applied dominance. I've heard that before. So I don't hate like that. it's like tricky when I got to USM and it's like, I don't. Anyway, in my undergrad, I was originally taught the 
uh, use like writing five six four moving down to five like with five three with the lines. Mm-hmm. That's what I did in undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I first got to USM, I still preferred that until I actually started teaching it. How Doctor Beard wanted us to teach it. Thanks guys for backing me up on that one. Um, <laughs> by putting the one six four with the brackets around it. Um, did he really? I must have blocked that out because I never I thought taught that. T- I think. Th- I think that's how he taught it. So I was just oh, trying no. to teach everything the way he taught it. He probably didn't care that much that you taught it the other way. Guys, I I, I, I think he does. Because <laughs> in, in my... Um, so I did like the comps, right? And then uh, there was something that the committee had a question about. I didn't know which question it was, but I had to go give like an oral defense to one of the questions After on my comps. comps? Yeah. Yikes. And so <laughs> I I wasn't sure what it was and it was cuz I had just like left off part of a question mm. which it was on like the pedagogy side of things and half of it I did a great job the other half I just didn't answer <laughs> cuz I forgot that it was a thing. Mm. And so then it essentially came down to the conversation that we were having which was what are like the can you name like four different ways that you would mm-hmm. teach six four chords? Yeah, that's where I got uh, this question or, from. Was our comps? <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. The comps change, Adam. They don't stay consistent. It was not mine. Did we have a six four question? I don't remember <laughs> but, our comps. Yeah, we had to list all the different ways and what their advantages and disadvantages were. Oh, I do remember that because the CAD one. I was like, uh. <laughs> It's it's credential. Uh, it's just really <laughs> overtly obvious, and they'll never get it wrong. But also, right. it looks stupid. Is that yeah. the disadvantage to the cat six four one? Basically, out of out of like all the ways that because I I described like four, mm-hmm. and I think I needed it five, and they were trying to like help guide me a little bit of like mm-hmm. okay, there's one that you haven't talked about, and it was the way that we were supposed to do. It. Which is with brackets. Well, the bracket. <laughs> yeah, and it was ah. like, wait, haven't haven't you been teaching that this year? And I was like, oh my oh. gosh, <laughs> I must have blocked that out because I didn't want to do it. <laughs> I don't remember that no, at cause, all. Because Beard and I talked, especially when we took that pedagogy class, Beard and I talked about it because I was taught the five six right? four five three at yeah at Carrie, and we talked about it, and he said he was actually like growing warmer to it that he liked it the right? more he thought about it, but he still was going to teach it with the one six four with the brackets. Oh, gosh. Maybe yeah. I at first was having them do it. I never made them do it with the bracket. I, and it's probably because I, would I would forgot have, the bracket. Ooh, I sent him a bunch of <laughs> third-year st- theory students then, or second year that weren't doing that. But, uh... I mean, they should... I, I do feel like there's a general premise that at some point you kind of get it, and that's why we're all generally okay with if it's one thing or the other we're fine because we know like here's what's really mm-hmm. happening and you know what i actually did let my students do however they wanted to i would just take God, off if they didn't monster. do something yeah sorry i just remembered <laughs> <laughs> but i would teach it i would teach you the 164 the bracket around it and then give them all the options because like especially a lot of the international students use like the k64 it's like yeah uh-huh. i know what that means oh. you know what that means great good job um and but- so that wouldn't bother me and I had one student who liked the five six four five three so much that he started using it, you know, without me asking him to or telling mm-hmm. him to. And then he just turned in all his tests like that. Maybe I mixed it up a bunch, but three. I remember teaching that six four to the lines five three. 
it might have just depended on the class mm-hmm. I had because some of them just did not get things until I taught it a specific way. So. And I'm curious why yeah, Kiefer but- chose to teach it that way because he would get so frustrated when people would forget that it would honestly seem like a better choice for him to just switch to a different method. Somebody would be like, all right, what chord is this? Uh, that's a one, six, four. No. So I was going to say, it bothered him. I if told you, you never, ever said, never call that a one, six, four. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. That's a little like, bit much. <laughs> so I don't know why he, he, he carried on with that. He should just switch to a bracket or something a little more intuitive. Yeah. Okay. Point to Seth. Right. I concede. All right. Round two. Round two. Like my questions. Uh, okay. This one could get really open-ended, I think. Eh, we'll see. This is based on my undergrad experience versus my graduate experience of teaching Ooh. theory, just for the heads up. Should we teach modes in fundamentals? Or in your two years of theory? I say fundamentals... I don't literally just mean the class that USM has called Fundamentals. Should we teach modes in the main music theory two-year curriculum? So not just fundamentals? No, no. So I, I okay, meant fundamentals okay, okay. is like the whole... Like basic undergraduate the th- the theory. Right. Yes. Yeah. In undergrad theory, should we teach modes as a part of the fundamental curriculum? There we go. Livy, I will, I will let you go first since um, I picked my position first last time. I guess I'll ask a clarifying question because it would change my position. Are we talking ear training as well? Uh, yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> I, think I don't have that... as firm of a stance on that one. Yes, yes. The answer is yes. Okay. Um. And I, sorry, I don't mean I don't mean like the jazz mode. I mean like the church modes, like the yeah hypsocriticalidian or whatever from the no i'm just kidding not the greek ones the (laughs) The seven the normal seven ones yeah yeah um so i i think yes um from a written theory like analytical perspective i don't have a strong argument for it other than if you are um, it gives your students a basis if they're interested in jazz. That is a thing that they will encounter and a skill they will use is mm-hmm. modes. So that gives them a basis for it to understand how to um, play modal scales in different keys. And then, um, but more as an ear training tool, I think that modes are really valuable. Um, not necessarily because they're going to be listening for modes in a lot of the repertoire they encounter, but because just asking a student to identify a mode when you play it forces them to listen to the relationship between pitches. If you want to go from an er intervallic perspective, like, oh, I'm listening for a whole step here versus a half step there, um, that they're not used to, or it teaches them to relate things back to the major and minor modes that they're used to. So like, I'm used to hearing this one, two, three, four in the major scale. If I hear that four, a half step higher than I'm used to, you can identify that it's Lydian, but it just, it teaches you good, like, it, it's a good ear training tool, in my opinion. Super basic gotcha. take, but that's my take. So, Seth, I, I think that means that you have to find a way to defend, no, we shouldn't teach something. Or if you had a better reasoning for theory, maybe we could argue on that, because mine is that I don't see much value for it in written theory for most undergrads. So you could argue me on that. <laughs> I think the most pressing need would be people to correct people on reddit about <laughs> the need for modes i've tried that it can't That's be done fair. <laughs> um 
No, like my my thing is, if, especially if we're thinking ear training, modes are obsolete. You don't need them. And the thing is that in undergrad theory, there is such a specific um, type of theory that you're trying to get into everybody's like, here's what it is. Here is the common practice that I think spending a couple months on, okay, this is how you identify Dorian and Phrygian and Mixolydian and Lydian and Aeolian and Locrian, that it just, there's no real need for it, especially when the very next thing is like, okay, forget all of that. It wasn't helpful. And what I really appreciated about Dr. Beard's ear training course is that there is like, okay, unit one, here's what we're working on. And that, like, what I talk to the students about is you have to get used to this is what uh, scale degree four sounds like, and here's what scale degree seven sounds like. They are tendency pitches, and they do specific things. Um, sometimes melodically, you don't always get that. Sometimes you do. Um, but, like, especially harmonically, there's like, okay, if you hear this pitch, it's going to go down. Like, four will resolve down to me. You will hear that. And even melodically i felt like we found that enough that i told my students like this is something i want you to listen for and get used to that but if you're playing around with modes you have different tendency tones because you know if you shift where scale degree one is in the major mode um then like you're throwing the tendency tones off does that make sense and so that like in phrygian really scales degree two and like seven become the ones that you might play with more because you get the half step right above do or scale degree one and so it's a different sound that all of a sudden the student has to get used to hearing and they're just i don't think there would be any real need for it because you're taking away from okay let's get you used to this tonal setting so I, I agree with like 90% of what you said, Seth, which is just that like it shouldn't be a foundational part of your undergraduate theory. It's not relevant enough for 90% of students or 90% of what they're doing. But I would say that sequencing um, is really important if you are going to include it, which I think there's some value in including it. But you have to... You don't want to spend like more than like a couple weeks on it. I don't think there's too much to teach in a typical undergraduate theory curriculum. You shouldn't devote more than like a couple weeks on modes. And that's while you're working on other stuff as well. Um, and really, I think it's important to put it towards the end. Once you already have a strong foundation of your more basic major minor um, modes that are in most Western art music repertoire. Um, that being because then, like I was saying in ear training, it be makes it into a useful exercise to test your ability. Like I'm so comfortable with major that if I hear this small adjustment, I can point it towards this mode. Um, and then in written theory, if you are going to go into modes, um, it can serve if you have this towards the end of their kind of more basic courses, this can serve as a springboard into more in-depth theory um, related to jazz, if that's what they're interested in, or into a specific repertoire, which uses these modes. Um, and then in ear training, like I was saying, it's a good test, but if they're interested in just pursuing um, more high level ear training, I know some schools go into like ear training five, ear training six, um, and they go into crazy modal melodies, 
then they have a basic foundation to work from. So I think it's important that you sequence it late if you're going to include it and more of just this like small supplementary, like here's a thing that you can experiment with more so than a, this is foundational to what you're going to be doing. Cause for most students, it's not, I agree. Well, so I agree with you on that. Um, that sequencing, it would Another have one to of these late. episodes, huh? Wait, what? Another one of these episodes. You guys are just going to agree the whole time. No, no, no. no. You, no, and, I, you and I agreed a lot, but we did come no, down on a side. <laughs> so my thing is that it has to come late, but I think there is just... Uh, if the, the problem for me is that when we start theory early on, that it's a it really is a discussion of here's the common practice and what we did. And that's why a lot of times you have to get immediately into here's the intervals that we're talking about. Here's the scales that we're talking about. Here's the basic chords that we're working with. Whereas if we were just working with, yeah, you could have any number of uh, like groups of pitch classes together that that's a different set because we don't think of a major scale as, yeah, it's just a collection of eight pitch classes that are organized whole, whole, half, whole, 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 half. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't explain it that way. We do do the whole, whole, half bit, but it's just this is the major scale. It's not you could have any collection of pitches that comprise whatever we're talking about. But I think if you were doing it closer to that of yeah we can just have different sets of things like you could have the whole tone set you could have the pentatonic set that then if you talk about rotating the set that then okay what i'm doing to the major scale to get all the other modes is just rotating the set of pitches where it but that's not like how we're teaching it and then i think furthermore that like in my third year or my third semester of theory, starting off on our ear training exam, our like practice one at the beginning. Actually, I don't think it was a practice one, but um, that was my worst graded test because he was giving us something that was in a Lydian mode, mm. but he didn't tell us what the mode was. And then when I asked him if he could identify tonic he said no and the reason (laughs) what but like my my ear told me that b flat should be do not e flat right and so he hit like so that for me it it was a problem to with all of my major studies that like trying to identify a mode even though like I kind of got close on it. Like I just had no perspective for anything because it's so against the grain of what we're like, we're trying to get students to focus on here is the major and the minors, like get used Mm -hmm. to hearing that that's going to comprise 80% of what you have to deal with as just a general musician. Yeah. I get that. I guess I, my my take is more of just like, I totally understand not including it, and you could just save it for if it's relevant to that student. I guess my perspective is like, we were able to fit in everything that we needed that was crucial in my undergrad. Um, at least that's how I remember it. Maybe it's not true, but it's like, and we still fit that in. So it's kind of like a why not give them a really brief basis of it. But I guess, yeah, that's my approach is less of like a firm yes and more of just like, eh, why not? <laughs> 
All right, for this one, I will render a verdict. Once again, trying not to be biased. <laughs> this time, the point for most convincing argument goes to Livy. Yay! Wow. I'll I take it. Um, yeah, I just I, I just agreed with that one. <laughs> <laughs> like I just thought that was the better argument. I don't really know what to say about just it. I just a casual that. why not. I mean, I get that, but I yeah, would, I would say there's also just well, people like don't do a good job of teaching modes to begin with and i'm not trying to win back the point the the verdict has already been written no i i 100 percent understand where you're coming from like i totally get and i think you have to be the right teacher to include it otherwise it's gonna just either teach them improperly or like it's gonna be pointless like you have to be the right person and you might need the right class i don't know but for me, I really liked the, mm. the so I bombed your training four. I was horrendous. Um, that's how I remember it at least. I passed, so I must have been doing something right. But I remember the one thing I could do that semester were those modes because in all we did, we didn't do the melodies, which I understand would be so difficult for students to switch gears to going from like hearing a leading tone going up to do as opposed to hearing that half step going up to like a raised four like that's horrible but um or yeah going up to like a or no going from a raised four up to a five that's what i should have said um something mm -hmm. like that is confusing but we just heard the actual scales he just played like a lydian scale for us and so it was really easy to pin down what specific degrees had been adjusted and like, I just remember being so excited that I could hear that when I hadn't been able to hear anything else the entire semester. I was like, oh, that was a raised four. Like I can actually, like, I know what that is. <laughs> so for me, I enjoyed it, but. Yeah, I guess that if you, like once you were listening to the major scale long enough that the tendency pitches, even if you rotated it, like I was mm -hmm. talking about, that you would be able to pinpoint, oh, here is where this is. Yeah, I mean, the way that our teacher taught it, um, I know that some people are really opposed to teaching it as like a, as relating it to the major scale, um, kind of like people are really mm -hmm. opposed to relating the minor scale to the major scale. Um, and some people want to treat them as their own entities. Our teacher did not. He, he was like, he taught us how to, we actually learned it in like our first class piano class, um, that, that you form modes just by rotating the starting pitch of a major scale. But um, when we got to the ear training portion, he gave us basically keynotes to listen for in each mode. So when you're listening for Phrygian, listen for a lower two. Mm -hmm. And we just learned it that way. And it was just memorization. But yep. to me, that's it, how I learned yeah, it, well. it was like if I heard a lower two, uh, it's going to be it's Phrygian or isn't it um, Locrian that also has a lower two? It's like one or the other. And then you have to wait for the seven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so stuff like that. Five, the five. And then, like, Phrygian has, like, a weird three or something. Like, I, I honestly don't remember them now, but it makes it easier to learn it that way, and it's more of just a test of your ear training more than anything functional, at least the way that my teacher did it. But I will say for the written theory, because we learned modes, and we really, I think, learned them more in ear training, but we focused on composition in our final semester of um, harmony towards the end, and we all got asked to compose a piece and I like wrote a piece that like was a lot of Phrygian stuff and it was really fun and it was an option that I had because we had learned about it. So I think if you're the right teacher with the right curriculum and your class is at the right place, it can just be a fun thing to throw in. But I completely agree that it's almost never going to be necessary. 
for a typical undergraduate. They could wait and get it later if they ever even need it. I think that it's good. I think that we should teach them, which is contrary to what I've told people on the music theory discord, but that's more because they try to learn it too early when they don't know like the basic. So say, I think that's people scale. saying that um, all music theory is modes, which is not accurate. Right. And some of that is from aspiring jazz players and aspiring composers and stuff like that, who are just trying to like instantly latch on to like what the, newish thing is like a different thing um without having like the proper context or education or preparedness for it in a sense mm-hmm. um but we learned modes this is what i went and looked up during the break that we took uh, i found it in my s- first semester of my second year of theory mm. um and he did make a sight sing melodies in modes we had to recognize scales, but we also had to sight sing in the modes. I will say that's um, actually might be a little bit better of an approach to chromaticism and sight singing than just a purely intervallic approach, which is I feel like what I had, which was more of just we're going to throw in these random altered pitches. Now, granted, they had some mm. sort of function, but I feel like if it was a mode that introduces you to like not just automatically singing the major or the minor and forces you to think through something while it's still a recognizable pattern. I kind of wish that we had did that. The closest thing that the closest thing at USM we had was when we got into the melodies that had like borrowed, right. borrowed chords, yeah. and, um, secondary dominance and stuff where those were functional, but it wasn't like but, totally changing. But they can't the scale, like practice. Weird yeah. Notes. They can't just practice a pattern that has those in them all the time. Whereas mm-hmm. with a mode, you kind of can. Right, and then the other thing, I guess there were, I I wanted you guys to talk more about, you couldn't have known this, and I wasn't going to jump in with it, (laughs) to talk about, like, so what do you either replace for, in place of modes, or what do you take out to put modes in? I guess I don't know what we could have covered instead of modes. I don't know if you need to do four weeks of Shankarian analysis with your undergrad students, Right. When you could be teaching them modes, you see, because I, I think the majority of people in that program are going to be better valued by a working knowledge of modes than they would of Shankarian analysis. You see, now I there's disagree. a debate. I, I will debate you on that, Adam. Oh. <laughs> yeah, my well, okay, but no. Think about think about how many of your students in your class are going to become music theory professionals and are going to like think about music in a Shankarian way. Well, I think ever again. I think that if you or are going to have about the number of your students that are going to play in a jazz band or compose music or work in those areas. Like I feel like no, the I mean, difference on those is so vast. I think if you are going to be someone who invests in their music theory, knowledge and abilities, even if it's not as a theorist, that Shane Kirian teaches you such a valuable skill, which is this idea of reduction that is so fundamental to just music theory as a whole. Like to me, and as that's, I was gonna say, I feel like I'm just going to, ride that train till I die because that's like my thesis but this idea of reduction is so fundamental but modes you may never use on the other hand you may never need your music theory or you may never feel the need to invest in it and you may be a performer who uses modes or composer on the daily but I don't think one is inherently more valuable than the other I think just the number of people, like the difference in people who are. Yeah, in I mean, music. you may have stats on your side. I don't know. I 
I don't think he does that because <laughs> Libby, my thing is, um, how which, am I about to lose a point on this one? I'm the host. Seth won, Libby won, Adam negative one. Bonus round. <laughs> but like the my thing is, uh, Shankarian. The whole reason that that becomes a thing, and I think it's important, and like we see that in um, Clendenning's version of their book, that there's a lot of uh, Shankarian like stuff mixed in with all of it, mm-hmm. but that's part of how you're analyzing it and yeah. it's it's really what is the next step beyond i have notes and rhythms on a page and i think that performers band directors like you name it that there has to be some thought of okay as i look at what's going on i can't literally just sing the notes and rhythm there has to be okay if i sing this note what's the next note and what's the next like important note because you could be singing arpeggio but the first like the next note in the arpeggio may not really be important it may really be the resolution to the next chord right and you can keep going broader and broader with that in the sense that entire phrases can be honestly just reduced down to a single one chord i was gonna say right right, but like i i was so excited to take shinker even though it was like the bane of my existence that first semester. I'm so glad that Adam and I had it our first semester there. Cause like it was the first time I had ever been kind of taught to think of music theory as like this idea that it's like function on a large scale. It's not just these notes can be grouped into a chord and the chords on the page should follow a general outline. It can be like entire, you know, phrases and groups of phrases can be part of a broader function that you can reduce things down to it. Like if you are going to be pursuing theory on any sort of more advanced level, I think it's like a fundamental concept. Right. And that it's more of the concept and the thinking about it than it is necessarily what are the exact rules of Shankarian analysis. Yeah. I mean that you are not that many people need. We learned all the ideas and concepts behind it secretly. (laughs) <laughs> like it turns out kiever was a very shankarian theorist my teachers I never were knew what that not. word meant until i got to grad school well so my so he taught us about he taught us about like the the period no not the period what the, <laughs> what's the he taught us basic phrases no what is the he did teach form but no what is that thing called the sentence the yeah it's a period it has two phrases no okay well, a well, period is not a messed it up yeah no, I completely messed it up. I'm not talking about form. I'm talking about what is the thing where you go from tonic to predominant to dominant to... Oh, that's the oh. phrase model. Yeah. Phrase model. Yeah. That's, there that's it why is. phrase was in there. Yeah. He taught us the phrase model. Like, well, he taught us which chords are more important. He taught us about, like, functional changes. Well, that's a credit right. to your he teacher. He told us to, like, look for, like, voice exchange and stuff like that. But he didn't use the word Shankarian, and we didn't spend two weeks drawing hooks and lines well, and graphs. But that's a credit right. to Kiefer, who was a theorist. I was going to say, I learned the Casca pain and almost nothing more, and it is not a – I did not learn Shankarian concepts. I did not reduce things down to, oh, that's basically a one. I learned, like, these notes equal a three chord, so it's going to get a but, three. like – in the Clendenning, uh, pretty early on, they want you to say, like, okay, here's tonic, here's predominant, here's dominant. And, like, you get used to yeah, so we did. just another line in the book is, like, or another line in your analysis, here's the Roman numerals, but here's what's really happening. 
I mean, to go so, back to like what we yeah, were. I, but I, I'm not denying that those concepts aren't important. Those concepts are valuable. Right. But you don't have to set aside four weeks of a chunk of a semester to learn mm-hmm. about those concepts and then make your students all draw their graphs and plot out their lines and stuff. I agree that I mean, you. That's I, a waste of time. I agree that you don't have to learn specific Shankarian. But to go back to what we were saying initially, I. I think that even though I just argued pro mode, I would have taken the couple weeks we spent on modes as a couple weeks spent on Shankarian, like those concepts. I think I would have taken that instead because I wanted to but pursue only theory. Because you went and got a master's degree in theory. Yes, that's very that's true. true. <laughs> if you were out there, if you were out there gigging with your saxophone, you wouldn't give a crap about whether you knew Shankarian analysis. Or I not. mean, some people do want theory to back up their performances, but I think modes are typically more functional. And that's what his point was, but. Yeah, but, like, um, when we were talking to Ryan, like, part of what he was saying was, yes, you have to become a master on the instrument and, like, your scales and everything else, you need that. Mm -hmm. But I do, I think that there is a thought process of here's what I want to happen. And part of one of the ways that you're thinking about that bigger picture is, like, Shankaran analysis. But... Again, it's not the literal. I'm I'm with you a little bit, Adam. On we don't <laughs> literally have to spend a month on. Here's how you draw your hooks and lines, and here's what the foreground is, here's what the middle ground, and here's what the background is. But <laughs> like for ear training, I think the concept of don't like you're listening broad harmonic structures, and so you've got to first go okay. We're starting on tonic. Listen for when dominant comes in. Does that make sense? Because like, so that yeah, we do that. Right. And so I think my point is that like, it is like, but that's, the, that's no longer a concept that has to be linked on its own to carry an analysis. That's just a good way to understand the greater context and like unity of the music. I mean, I get that, but I, because I, I'm a nerd, so I told my students like, "Hey, this is how we can reduce it," and like, "This is you know, like I came maybe Shanker came up with this and stuff like that." He was a huge racist, and we don't like him anymore. But like, I, didn't I mean, I don't know if I that. liked I, him the first time, like before yeah, I knew that. That's true. <laughs> um, but like, I didn't have to say all that. I could have just showed them how to reduce stuff. I could have, yeah. I, I think you could just spread out the topics in a way that makes better use of your time that reinforces what they need to learn to like do really well in their ear training and stuff like that without having to make it a block. Yeah. But I, I guess my thing is if um, let's say four weeks is like 10 classes, wouldn't it make sense to just add those back into your other sections than necessarily spend that time on like modes. I'm gonna spend all of it on modes. I don't know. It tends a lot for modes. I mean, I agree. Do, at USM, I at also USM, think the sophomore level. Go ahead. I was gonna say, in general, I think that learning modes is fine. You should just understand that it's a pitch class, like it's a set of pitch pitch classes that can be rotated in any way, shape, or form. Like it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's. People do teach mode weird ways. Like I learned that a Dorian mode was a major scale with a flat six. 
at least that's wrong that it's not it's first of all, it's a minor scale uh, with the with the yeah, 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 yeah. Raised sixth yes you're right i'm sorry and but that's the that's the correct way to teach it no it's not a dorian scale <laughs> is just starting on the second degree that's <laughs> gross and i don't like it no it's perfect if i say c dorian it's a b flat scale starting on c no i have no idea what that means what do you mean I, that's not that's not how I learned it, and that's just not how I process it. I process. It I remember like having this debate. Where I think with of it you. as alterations alterations of major and minor, and I feel like that's more useful because now you can tell what is functionally different about each of these scales. If I know that a Dorian scale is minor, it's going to have a minor sound, but with a raised sixth, I know there's going to be like an unexpected brightness on the sixth, and I know like how that changes the function of the scale itself and what chords I can make with it. I mean. Okay. That also ties. If we're talking. I, what's up, Livy? I just have a really quick interjection. That just also ties into one thing I didn't mention, which was pro modes, which is just that. Um, I mean, we didn't learn this in my undergrad, but in graduate music history, we talked about modes and like that they usually put this type of like. I can't remember any of the details, but like they usually put this in like Lydian or something because it was the brightest. It was considered the brightest mode and like. We would learn things like mm-hmm. that, and if you learn the function within the modes, that it can help you understand music history a little bit yep. better. I mean, I understand how maybe for performers, if they learned it that way, it's very easy and natural for them to just suddenly be in that mode. But I would rather be able to explain and know what I'm getting into when I start a mode. Oh, no, I'm I'm with you on the what functionally what is really different about the mode and why would you do it and i think that that's part of the fun of livy's project that uh she's talked about is that you're experiencing it and there are different things different characteristics to it than just a major scale but i think if you're teaching it the black and white of okay Dorian starts on scale degree two. If you have all of your scales memorized, go back one, and that's like what scale it is or what key signature you would put up there. That that's easier to that understand work for me. No, it's not. Ah, it is. You just didn't learn it the easy way. <laughs> <laughs> it just. I mean, maybe I have a brain disease or something. But like, I've never been able to. Well, that was Mondo and I, who might be a future guest one day. Mondo and I got into an argument after class one day because he was trying to explain it to me. I was like, "This means nothing." I mean, to it me. doesn't you teach you anything about the modes, but it is an easy, easy way to memorize them. I want to shout out any of the listeners who want to memorize their modes. Um, we got this great, was it called a mnemonic device from our class piano teacher, which is "I don't fight like Muhammad Ali." I for Ionian, don't for Dorian, fight with a PH for Phrygian, yeah. like for Lydian, <laughs> Muhammad for Mixolydian, and then Ah for Aeolian, and Lee for Locrian. And I never forgot it, and I never will, and now I can memorize what modes are, because I know that it's scale degrees one through seven. It doesn't teach me how to like listen for them or anything, but I know how to write them. I just remember that there's... I just remember there's three major and three minor and a bonus one that's major. I couldn't even tell you. I couldn't even tell you which ones are major and which one are minor. To be honest, I just know how to write. Well, that helps. That helps because then you only have to. 
Do what? Yeah, those are the three minor ones. Yeah, Dorian, Phrygian, But knowing and, knowing and then... ahead of time the different groups that are ah. major and minor means that you only have to alter one note when you think about the scale. Except so is, are you considering Locrian minor them, or diminished? Because I always thought of it as diminished because it's the only one that creates a, di- yeah, uh, cause it creates a diminished chord. But yeah, Adam... I mean, yes. It's, yes, you you created two different sets, but then there's three different rules for each of them. <laughs> because it's not even, oh, in the major, you like raise the fourth in this one, and then in the minor, you raise the fourth here. It's a complete, it's <laughs> like six different rules for everything. Whereas my yeah, thing. Yeah, I remember them. <laughs> so... And Seth and I agree. So basically, it's. I have like me 100% against Seth, success rate but on then, modes, like in my tests. Let's say, but then it's me right. and Seth against Adam. <laughs> Adam, if I say E Phrygian, what would the key Nothing. signature be? <laughs> C? Yeah. Took you a while though, bud. <laughs> or <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna think I don't E even minor. Know what that would be. I, I don't know what that is. I was gonna, gonna say he e could minor, create the scale pretty fast. Yeah, I was gonna say you could so you easier. could write the scale you pretty fast. Me by talking but... about, you, you confused me by talking about C. Then I couldn't figure out whether E Phrygian meant that I was starting on C or starting on E. I was gonna say to be fair, Adam, he asked you a key signature and you gave him a note name, which Doctor Beard hates. <laughs> You're the one who brought C into yeah. the mix. Yeah, it's really no sharps, uh, no flats. <laughs> okay, okay, Adam, smell the coffee beans, like free your mind from my crazy talk, and I will give you a second shot. We will right, see. Right. Okay. <laughs> B flat mixolydian. E flat. Yeah. E flat major. You did the same yeah. thing though, where you said it is a note instead of a key signature. Well, because I'm just yelling out as soon as I realize I get to it. I'm not actually putting it all together. <laughs> it becomes an expletive when I do it this way. I'm just gotta get it out. <sighs> no, that's dumb. I don't like it. Uh, think about your uh, modes as major and minor kids <laughs> and a funky diminished one that you're just going to call minor for the sake of convenience So the- and then the major one which you're not going to count but just remember that it's there because it's the major one it's a complicated system but I, I think we talked about this before that like Kiever just drilled into us rote memorization is the way to go because if you have it in recall you'll never forget it you'll never have to work it out it'll just be there and so that's why we learned it this way, because his thing was, just memorize it, and then you'll have it forever. Say, well, and now I have it forever, but this is the only way that I know how to do it. So it's not perfect. <laughs> and you're unwilling to change. But the, uh, the, only it, positive, it the only positive of this is that me and Livy both disagree. <laughs> so there's at least not a bias one way or the other. <laughs> um, yeah, arguing about this is why I got kicked out of the music theory discord. <laughs> Oh, I can't wait for this no, episode to come out then. <laughs> no, I didn't get kicked out. I voluntarily left after I realized I'd gotten way too argumentative and it wasn't good for my mental health. Um, but now he's back question. in, baby. <laughs> I'm back in. I'm in, a, I'm in a much better place in life and I don't talk about Jacob Collier, negative harmony, or modes anymore. <laughs> I have rules now. You've set so boundaries. question number three, would you teach negative harmony? <laughs> you already do. It's called inversion. <laughs> Stop making stuff up, Jacob. <laughs> Um, all right. <laughs> Number three. We'll see if this one's any good. I don't know. The last one was way better than I expected it to be. I think we went a very long time. <gasps> um, it's a puppy. Hey, 
everybody, thank you so much for stopping by Arzats. Uh, once again, we're splitting up this debate episode into two weeks of episodes, so please check back next week to find out uh, what happens the rest of the debate. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.